So I was here last week, previous two weeks out of town, and one of those weeks, um, I had agreed to preach tonight, but hadn't gotten my assignment yet, and Dave is the one who's responsible for that, and uh, the last time Mike tried to communicate to me what Dave had said, um, it got about as garbled as this Mike from time to time. Oh, yeah, he's named Mike. No, anyway, um, so... If I don't hold it, don't move it. Maybe if I put it away and just pretend you're all at seminary, I teach in rooms this size without a microphone. So um, I got an email from Mike saying that he had my assignment from Dave and I could be sure that it was correct and that I was to preach the story of Noah from the children's Bible. And I thought to myself, is he pulling my leg? Or is he serious? And that's basically what I wrote back. <laughs> and he said, oh, oh, no, it's serious because uh, we want to, from time to time, obviously other things are interspersed along the way. We want to work through a bunch of the stories in the children's Bible, use some of the pictures they have. And for the children who stay in the service and for their parents, their Things can dovetail, and I go, okay, I, th that's fine. I just want to be sure I wasn't starting to do something that was a joke. So we've got really cool pictures tonight, especially if I have my remote. And uh, I know Adam and Meg Skinner aren't with us anymore. But uh, the title is in their honor because they love puns almost as much as I do. Um, so if you know the story, and if you know anything about Edgar Allan Poe, you might get the play on words in uh, my title. The story of Noah and the flood is one of the best known stories in all of the Bible, even by people who know next to nothing about the Bible. There have been movies made about it, some better than others. I happen to like Evan Almighty as my favorite, um, but that wasn't intended to be a documentary. Some people make the flood their solution to scientific problems because they believe in a young earth and a literal six-day creation. And how do you explain what science says uh, took millions of years? Well, there are some things that uh, a cataclysmic worldwide flood 
might account for in a much shorter period of time. There are other people who are still trying to make historical sense out of all of this, uh, point to what archaeologists agree on, that in about 4000 B.C., there was a major flood that covered much of the ancient Near East and what we would call the Middle East. And people who have uh, climbed about as far as they can get up Mount Ararat in southeastern Tur- in northeastern Turkey, which hasn't happened recently, because if you keep going, you get into places like Iraq and Syria and fighting, and it's just not safe. And Something is up there that looks kind of like a piece of petrified wood, but nobody's sure. Other people, well, they're like some characters in Evan Almighty. (laughs) They just mock the whole idea. They just think the story is ridiculous. It shows the the lengths to which Christians will go and believe just about anything. And then there are still other people that say, no, this is a a myth in the sense of a founding epic story of a religion that is part true and part theology. But the point is that the Jewish story is dramatically different from a bunch of other flood stories that we know about from the ancient Near East because it's all about there being one God in charge of everything rather than a whole bunch of gods that people have to figure out what areas they're over and how to appease them and what sacrifices to offer. Well, our own Dave Weatherby has set a model for me that I want to imitate tonight. I remember him first doing it the night we talked about predestination out of Ephesians 1. I don't remember the actual words, but uh, it was something like, I'm not interested in all that stuff tonight. (laughs) You want to talk to me privately, that's fine, but uh, not going there. Because we all love epic stories, whether they're completely fiction, completely true, some of each. We know how, whether it's movies, whether it's uh, books, whatever the medium is, we know how to enter into a fictitious world. Oh, yeah, kind of like the shirt I'm wearing. When in doubt, go to the library, Hermione Granger. I mean, thanks to my girls, I have watched Harry Potter shows multiple times. Hermione is my favorite character. I don't know what that says about me, but you can figure that out. (laughs) Maybe she's a nerd and I am too. (laughs) And we suspend for the sake of enjoyment And sometimes for the sake of a message that an author like J.K. Rowling might want to be communicating, we don't ask those questions about where is Hogwarts? (laughs) Which train do I get on? (laughs) 
in order to get there. Now, you can go to King's Cross in London and find Station 9 and 3 quarters. And you can see uh, half of a shopping cart coming out of it. They know how to get tourists to come after a wildly successful (laughs) series of shows has been made. But I've yet to see anybody push it through and not come out the other side. But we can suspend all that and say, let's just enjoy the story and hear what the author wants to teach us. So that's what I invite you to do tonight. It's almost four chapters long. And the good news is, anybody want to guess? I'm not going to read all of it. But it starts in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and verse 9. What does it say when I can read that better than the Bible that I'm holding in my hand? (laughs) And I won't find it at all if I'm in Exodus (laughs) 6. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their Ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And for the next six and a half verses, He gives all the details of what the ark was to contain. And then he says, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. The children's Bible gives us two wonderful pictures. Here, that we might be able to see. There we go. I don't know if that's what Noah did with the Lord's instructions. And, whoa, come back. Try that again. Just one slide. There we go. I don't think that was an actual photograph. Artist's rendering. I think we see four episodes in the plot here. The first is before anybody goes in to the ark. 
The story begins with a contrast between how evil humanity has become and one man and perhaps his family who are called righteous and blameless. Not sinlessly perfect. Nobody's ever been that other than Jesus. But compared to everyone else around, they stood out. And God does not want to completely destroy his creation. He wants to save the animals. He wants to save the birds that he doesn't take into the ark or at least the fish and other things that can swim in the water. He wants to save a certain amount of plant life that can withstand a flood. But he decides that the human race should start over with Noah's offspring. And hopefully you know the story. Build a giant ship. Build an ark. I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be up by... uh, Estes Park, if you went east a little bit um, on the highway there, uh, a building, scale model, built in the shape of Noah's Ark. It was amazing. And it sold nothing but stuffed animals. And uh, you could get giraffes as big as a baby giraffe, i.e. taller than me, um, if you had enough money. Noah's given enough instructions that He knows exactly what God wants, the number of compartments. Certain animals have to be kept apart (laughs) and kept apart from Noah and his family. And he goes to work doing it. Now, I think you can teach old people new tricks. I don't know about dogs, but this afternoon... Even the number of times I read this text in preparing this message this afternoon, I realized something that I never knew my whole life because my Sunday school did what the children's Bible does. It it added things (laughs) and it took things out and and it's all probable and plausible, but. There's nowhere in the text where it says people stood around and looked at Noah building this ginormous thing and laughed and ridiculed him and mocked him. And every time I've ever heard the story told, it's included that. It's kind of like the apple that wasn't an apple in the garden. It was just a fruit and we're never told what it was. But I see why people jump to that conclusion. It's hard for me to imagine anybody in the area where Noah was building this ark who wouldn't have mocked him. Maybe they were polite and started by asking some questions. Is this a new museum? Or, uh... <laughs> But when they found out, the message was absurd. A flood so huge that anyone and anything not on it, any animal or human being is going to perish. 
No, you've lost your mind. That's one of the reasons I, I like Evan Almighty. <laughs> if you know that show. Evan's a senator uh, in Washington. Um, bit of a cutthroat. Willing to um, cross some boundaries that may or may not be legal. He's got friends who appreciate him as long as he's still like that. And all of a sudden, without doing anything, he finds himself growing a, lar a large beard and faster and longer than anything that could ever happen otherwise. And, and he's transformed and his family doesn't understand and they leave him and he just has this compelling sense from God he's got to keep building this ark. And if you've really never seen the story, I won't say anything more because it's got a fabulous ending, in my opinion. But the people who come and look at him, including news reporters who are poking fun of him, just mock him. But what I see that Genesis emphasizes is Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Doesn't that make obedience in just about any other area of life seem easier by comparison? Do we really have the right to grumble about how hard it is to obey God if, if Noah could obey at the expense of what everybody else thought was his sanity? Undoubtedly. Those commands. But then comes a second episode. Chapter 7. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'll wipe away from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. There it is again. More description of the preparations for the flood. And then we read, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. And it starts to rain. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth. And all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits, about 23 feet. 
Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. I've got all kinds of questions here that the Bible doesn't answer and no other source that I can turn to answers. Did it have to be this way? I don't know. All I can do is trust a God who I believe is all-powerful and all-wise and loving and just. But here is where the story goes from bad to worse. Here is the account of now that the ark is completed, people go into it, and the flood begins, and it's not just torrential rain from the heavens, It talks about the waters from the deep opening up, what we would call the water table under the earth, the oceans, and um, all Neptune breaks loose. Oh, no, that's uh, Greek mythology, (laughs) the god of the sea. It is absolute chaos. In fact, the writer uses language that should make Somebody who's recently read Genesis 1, remember the language about the primeval waters and the firmament that separated the waters above from the waters below. Everything that God made orderly at creation is being undone and disorderly. We go from bad to worse, and by the time we get to the end of chapter 7, we are at the worst point. The flood has been raging for as long as it's going to. As much destruction as is going to happen has occurred. And I wonder, do we ever feel like that? Even without a massive flood? We've seen some pretty horrific storms hit the East Coast and the Gulf Coast. And other countries are used to devastation. Not that you ever get used to it, but they see it more often. And it does more damage because they don't have even the number of buildings that we have that can withstand storms. I grew up in western Illinois on the Mississippi River uh, before some of the seawalls were built. (laughs) Never figured out why they didn't call them river walls that that are in place today. And, And I remember almost every spring, My parents would go downtown, and if I was in the car with them, we lived on the side of a big sloping hill, and the avenues were numbered starting with First Avenue. It was the riverfront road, and then Second and Third, and 
in the great flood of 65, I was 10 years old, and there was water past Fifth Avenue. It was remarkable. I can't imagine what it would have been like to live on a flood plain. And if you could, you would avoid living there. Or, as some people did, you literally built your house on stilts so that water would come and it wouldn't do any damage. And that's just a miniature version, tiny microscopic version of what is being described here. Have you ever felt like the whole world around you has flooded and there's no escape? In 1997, I had through a series of events that thanks to three false diagnoses, I can't reconstruct entirely for sure what happened. But I had a serious repetitive stress injury in my neck and shoulders that would radiate out depending on the movements I made and potentially affect anything in my arms and hands and upper back and I couldn't write, I couldn't type, uh, I couldn't lift even more than the very lightest thing for several months as the doctors kept giving me the wrong diagnosis and it got worse and it got worse. And unlike things that I had coped with and injuries I had had previously, I got depressed and finally got on some medication for that. And there were times I thought it, it can't get any worse than this. Is there some way you feel that about life today? Economic situation, family situation, horrible relationships that you have to keep confronting. I don't know what it might be. But if you go away and forget everything I say tonight and all the cute pictures, are there... Some cute pictures. Oh, yeah. There's a cute picture. That huge arc looks pretty small compared to the way that artist drew the waves. The fish look pretty huge, but um, <laughs> if that's what the little red fins are supposed to be, I'm not sure. If there's one sentence in this account to remember, it's one that I've never heard a Sunday school teacher stress. At the very midpoint of the story, at the beginning of chapter 8, but God remembered Noah. And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And in one of the oldest known famous European paintings. Help me, Benjamin. It's doing nothing. That's what I get for lying. And there it is. No, that's not a famous European painting. <laughs> God remembered 
Noah. No, that doesn't mean he had forgotten what was going on. The word for remembered in the Old Testament is often used in pivotal, strategic, crucial points in a narrative for here's when God had determined to intervene and to change things and to start a plan of redemption and to make things get better again. And there's got to be a trick to doing this, but I haven't figured it out. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Yep, that's the time to stress with the music. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, of the, the earth was completely dry. So from the peak of the flood and from the peak of despair, now everything unwinds in the reverse order. As, as the flood waters had increased, so also do they decrease over the same period of time. And if you learn this story as a kid, the Sunday school stories do a pretty good job with this part. Three sending out, sendings out of birds. The raven who could eat to carry on, maybe floating on the top of the water who could perch on other destroyed objects floating on the top of the water, flew back and forth and back and forth. A dove who required uh, plant life and uh, of a certain kind had to come back until finally it brought an olive leaf. One of the hardiest of plants is the vineyard. Some have been known to last and grow for centuries on end. And eventually, 
Noah knew it was okay to leave the ark. I've got more questions. Do you? Why so long? That's very good. I didn't even push the button. So, I mean, there's magic going on here tonight. Thank you, Hermione. (laughs) I doubt it was quite that steep. Um, But, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Why did it have to be 15 cubits? Why did it have to go on as long as it did? Why did it have to rain 40 days and 40 nights? Why did the flood have to be there for 150 days? Why did it take that long to recede? Why does God leave us in hard situations? What seems like way too long. I contracted the repetitive stress injury in 97. Laborious physical therapy over about a two-year period. And life was pretty much back to normal. But I still had to be very careful every day because I could feel that if I overdid anything, uh, the pain would come back pretty quickly. And... Ever so gradually, it got better until 2003, when foolishly thinking I was pretty much okay, I set out and did some stuff, and it felt like it was right back where it had been at the worst of the times. And then God remembered my situation. And, and created a miracle that won't go in uh, any book of genuinely unexplainable, science, unexplainable by science events. But one of my students who had heard about what I was going through came to me out of the blue, hadn't seen him in months, and, and said... Uh, you probably don't believe in miracle cures. <laughs> that's, that's how he started. I said, well, no, I, I, I think I've seen them once or twice. I, think I've, I believe in genuine miracles. And he goes, well, I've got the miracle cure for what you've got. <laughs> now I was a little more skeptical. <laughs> and he said... There's something that a chiropractor in Colorado Springs, where he lived, developed, and it's called ART, Active Release Techniques. And it's kind of a cross between physical therapy and massage and, and chiropractic. And there are three people in Colorado who know how to do it. And one is the guy in the Springs, and two are in the Denver metro area. And one of them is up by uh, I-25 in Mexico, and you should call him, and you should go to him, because he'll cure you. I said, sure, I'll be happy to call him, (laughs) set up an appointment. And Tom was right. I went to the guy five times over a period of about six weeks. And it was the most bizarre thing where he would put 
more pressure than a guy his size I thought would be able to inflict on somebody. And in the joints where it was the sorest and then move my arm slowly in different ways while applying this pressure. And every time I went, I went home and I could feel how much better it was. And the fifth time he said to me, I don't think you have to come back anymore. And I just laughed. I said, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and he was right. But there are other things God has not chosen to heal me of. There are things God has not chosen to take out of your lives. We've seen genuine miracles here at Scum. Not just my miracle, which had a scientific explanation to it. The miracle was that I should find out about it. <laughs> and find out about it in the way that I did. And no matter how many miraculous healings anybody gets, the last time I checked, the death rate is still 100%. Even Lazarus died again. <laughs> Sooner or later, there is something we will not be healed of in this life, but we have the opportunity, if we're Christ followers, to be healed of it in the life to come. So how does this story wrap up? Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. Stage four. Stage one, preparation. Stage two, inside the ark as things get worse. Stage three, inside the ark as things get better. Stage four, they're back outside of the ark again. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, and all creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And then he talks about some of the, I think that's supposed to be, no, it's not. That's right. Sorry, Mike. I was about to charge you with something you didn't do. And, and the text talks about uh, Noah building an altar to the Lord. Why have seven pairs of clean animals and just one pair of everything else? Because uh, they're going to be used for sacrifice and to propagate and have more animals for sacrifice. And God makes a, a promise and he says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons, saying, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. If you've read Genesis 2... One and two, that should sound familiar. The very command that was given to Adam and Eve that their descendants didn't do so well with. 
The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. Humanity isn't sinless. Noah wasn't sinless. He wasn't sinless after (laughs) the flood. There's a rather disturbing story, not too much further in Genesis, about what happens when he gets drunk and what his sons do to and with him. But here, we're starting over. Exercise dominion over the earth. You have the power over the creatures you've created. Apparently, they were vegetarians before. Now they're carnivores. I guess that means it's okay to be either. (laughs) And let's not make that a point of difference. (laughs) Thank you. However, that happened. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. He says it again. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you every living creature on earth. And you can read it faster than I can. Here's where what presumably already existed, it's just a scientific phenomenon, the rainbow, now takes on spiritual significance as a reminder. Just as rainbows are seen when The sun comes out immediately after or near the end of a rain. It's a reminder in all six major colors (laughs) that God will never again destroy things remotely on the scale that he did of the flood. So what? He may not destroy the earth entirely. Each one of us is going to die unless we live to see the Lord return. The older I get, the more I become aware of my mortality. My dad died when he was 75. If that's all I have, I've got 12 more years. Add 12 to your age. Unless you're Larry or Cheryl or Michael or (laughs) one of the old people here. (laughs) Like me. And that doesn't sound like a good number. My mom passed away just last spring. She made it to 87. That sounds a lot better. Now I've got 24, but I don't know that I get what I want. The longer I live, the more I want however much life I have left to count for something that will last into eternity. 
One of the interesting things about the children's Bible that these pictures come from is that each of them ends with a brief reference to Jesus or something in the New Testament. Genesis ends with God making a covenant with Noah, never again to destroy the world in this fashion. But that's not the final covenant he makes with humanity. He will make a covenant with Moses and another one with David. And I skipped Abraham before Moses. But then in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he will prophesy a new covenant. One that will not have any of the imperfections of the old. And Jesus, the Bible claims, came to inaugurate, to start, to usher in that covenant. But only in part we have new heavens and new earth that we wait for. And that's why when I can get my mind in the right mood and stop trusting in this world so much and the fun things I can do here, I can say, wait a minute, I don't have 12 or 24 years. I've got a Googleplex gazillion. I don't know how many zeros to put after that. And then when that's done, I've got a Googleplex gazillion times that left. And I've still only barely started. Because even though Mike's not here, we've had a Narnia theme mentioned. How can, how can we not quote one of Mike's favorite C.S. Lewis quotes? That you and I have never seen a mortal person. Well, Lewis said, man, I'm updating the language for the 21st century. Everybody will live forever. The only question is, what will their state, what will their condition be? Now I've got a lot more than a kid's story. And I've got a happy ending. And we look at the rainbow and we can remember the flood. But next time you see a rainbow, will you remember... Jesus and a promise of new heavens and new earth that will make the worst crap we go through in this life <laughs> pale into insignificance as we look back. Doesn't necessarily feel like it now, but one day it will. Let's pray. Lord, I do not know what floods of horrors or evil or annoyance or frustration or strained relationships people here may be going through tonight, but you do. And I don't know whether you are going to rather dramatically and suddenly at some point provide solutions for those, or gradually over the long haul, or not until the life to come, but you do. And I pray that you will help everyone here in whatever circumstances they are to accept 
your love, the gift of faith that you offer, even if they have already trusted in you for salvation, the gift daily of peace that you can make available, not as the world gives, but in a very countercultural way. And if any don't know you, I pray that they will reach out and begin to live a life of following you and accepting your free gift of salvation. That one day will lead to an eternity beyond anything we could possibly imagine or draw or film or portray or describe however hard we try. Thank you for that indescribable gift. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.